Hello and welcome into the mashup, your number one source for sports, gaming, and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson. Happy Friday, everyone. And it is the week after the Super Bowl. Many sports shows are struggling for content, but I acknowledge that college basketball exists. And I acknowledge that esports exist. And I'll obviously hit on some NBA trade deadline, the disasters that are going on in Major League Baseball right now, and a few other things. But first, it just happened. Let's get right into it. The NBA trade deadline. There were more than a few big moves this year. Like, obviously one of the big ones was the insanity of the four-team trade between the Rockets, Hawks, Timberwolves, and Nuggets, where Houston comes out of it with basically two guards. Atlanta gets Clint Capella, which, as many people have pointed out, is a great combo with Trey Young. Minnesota gets Malik Beasley, Juancho Herna Gomez, Evan Turner, Jared Vanderbilt, and a first-round pick. Minnesota... Minnesota brought in like seven or eight new people <laughs> overall at the uh, at the trade deadline. And Denver gets Shabazz Napier, Gerald Green, Keita Bates, Diop, Noah Vonleh, a first-round pick. Obviously, the big thing here is Covington going to Houston and Clint Capella going to Atlanta. Those are the those are the big big ones. Um, Minnesota traded most of their guards and Houston traded all of their big men. Their center big air quotes around that term now is PJ Tucker who is listed on the on the Rockets roster as 6-5. They are embracing the small ball. And you know what? More power to them for trying something new and and going all in on small ball, positionless basketball, whatever you want to call it, because I I know this is, this is talking college, but, and comparing it to the NBA is a very different animal, but it has worked many times in college. The last couple, the last few national champions, both Villanova teams, Virginia, Virginia last year, both Villanova teams, UNC, like just the last four. Those are, those are your last four national champions. Uh, Virginia last year, Nova two years ago, UNC three years ago, Nova four years ago. They all pretty much played a very similar style of game. They all kind of built around small ball. And it won them a national championship. And much like the NFL, college is the innovator. People don't like to admit that, but college is the innovator for both football and basketball. And obviously, like I said, NBA is a totally different animal. There is a lot more there's a lot more hero ball that goes on, and I think that will continue in Houston, just considering who else is on that roster. You know. Westbrook, Harden. I mean, there there's still gonna be some hero ball going on at the Toyota Center. <laughs> but Clint Capella is an interesting pickup 
for the Hawks because the Hawks are in a weird position where them, Memphis, and New Orleans are for the most part like three of the youngest teams in the league to varying levels of success. Memphis and New Orleans are in the hunt for a playoff spot. Atlanta's not quite there yet, but they do have the talent. I think Clint Capella is an interesting addition to that because I mean, sure, everyone calls, sure, this man has somehow found the fountain of youth, but how long can Vince Carter realistically keep playing as opposed to Clint Capella, who is 25? Vince Carter... Vince Carter started playing before some of his current teammates on the Hawks were born. He played with the Raptors where their regular jersey is the Raptors' current throwback jersey. So he's been in the NBA a very long time. How much longer can he really keep playing at any kind of high level? That's... That's the big question that the Hawks have seemingly found an answer to in a talented guy like Clint Capella. And Minnesota just really completely blew up that roster because they they moved everybody around. They moved a whole lot of people. <laughs> the picture was just hilarious of like, eight guys standing on the stage holding up their their Timberwolves jerseys for the first time <laughs> because it's it's basically a new team one, one of the other obvious big splashes was just the the straight up trade of Iguodala to Miami and there were obviously some other pieces involved you you got Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill also going to Miami. And then Winslow Waiters and James Johnson going up to Memphis. I like... I like this pairing for Miami. Because obviously, Iguodala's still still totally got plenty of game left in him. Like, the man, the man's a three-time champion... Finals MVP, multi-time All-Star. Like, he's still got it in him. And Jay Crowder is also an interesting combination because obviously he's not going to get starters minutes, but he's an interesting backup to Bam Adebayo. Like, that, that, that definitely... makes Miami much more interesting in the East because I think that rounds out that team a little bit more. Iguodala has... Iguodala's skill set is a nice complement to Butler and Bam Adebayo because he's kind of the in-between of the two of them. He's a little... He's a little bit more of a big than Jimmy Butler can play, but he's not as much of a of a big as as Bam Adebayo. So that's that's a good pickup for for uh Miami. 
And one of the kind of the last minute ones was D'Angelo Russell going to the Timberwolves for Andrew Wiggins. Now, both of these teams are near the bottom of the West. These are, these are not amazing, amazing teams this year, like at all. But Golden State will be back. Golden State will be back as soon as next year once Steph and Clay are off the off their injuries. Like they're immediately back to a, a Western Conference contender, and now they've got Andrew Wiggins, who hasn't been amazing in the NBA, but paired with that kind of talent, he could probably do a whole lot. And this also, apparently D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are friends, which a lot of people are saying is a kind of a, hey, don't get too mad at us move to keep Towns happy. And he hasn't been playing that well either because they haven't won a game he's been in since November. So maybe getting his friend out there will get his play back up to the level it should be at. And one of the other ones, this one just feels like... This one just kind of feels like a a salary dump. (laughs) Because his... uh, His... His cap hit is $28.8 million next year. Ooh, that's... No wonder Detroit got basically nothing in return. They got Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a second-round pick. Wow. That is... Uh, that is a pretty uh, lackluster return for a guy like Drummond, who is a pretty good player. But that that cap hit, he is not worth that much. That is that is gross. I w- I would not want to pay Andre Drummond that kind of money. <laughs> that's that's a little bit too much. Some of the other ones, poor poor Isaiah Thomas, just keeps getting keeps getting bounced around. Like. He got traded to the Clippers, and they pretty much immediately flipped him. Poor guy. You feel you feel kind of bad for him because he's just never found a team that's that's willing to keep him. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna keep him around. That was. That was just like, oh hey, we'll throw we'll throw this guy in just to you know clear so we can get get his salary off the books. Yeah, there's a few there's a few other trades here, but these are mostly these are mostly like bench guys and and salary dumps. So that's 
obviously the two big ones are are the big four team the Rockets Hawks T-Wolves Nuggets big just like it took me 20 minutes to break this all down when I first saw it trade I was like okay so what's going on here who's who's going where took took a little while to figure that one out and obviously Iggy Crowder and Solomon Hill going to Miami for Winslow Waiters and and Johnson and and really Winslow's not a bad fit in Memphis either like he's he could work really well with John Morant like that that could be a pairing that works very 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 well for the Grizzlies going forward because obviously John Morant's their future but you want to put a good team around him while he's still on his uh on his rookie contract before he gets before he gets all that big boy money in in really just a couple years because NBA rookie deals especially for first round picks are very short So that that's that's pretty much the big thing on the trade deadline. Obviously, that was most of what took up the NBA news cycle in the latter half of the week, and most of the games aren't really reflective on the teams who made moves too much, at least. I hope not, considering how the Sixers got dumpstered by uh, pretty much everyone they faced on their road trip. Yeah, that was that was a fun time. They they gotta I'm I'm having here here's my little Sixers fan rant section of the NBA segment. I'm losing faith more and more in this Ben Simmons Joel Embiid pairing with every passing bad loss. Like with every with every ugly loss that that comes, I'm like, is are these two really the guys? Was it really Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick last season who helped tie it all together? Because they, they made a move for some bench scoring, which they have been desperately lacking, and three-point shooting, which they have been desperately lacking. So hopefully it's enough, but... That doesn't change the lack of anything I saw in that game against Miami, where they just got destroyed. And now Miami's gotten better. So I don't have much hope for the Sixers this year. I have, and I'm starting to lose faith in the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid combo. If if I had to choose, I would, I would keep Embiid and get rid of Simmons and get an actual point guard. Uh, drafting him first instead of Jason Tatum is going to haunt me for years. And I, I don't think I'm alone when it when it comes to that with Sixers fans that uh they 
they traded up to get the first pick because they thought Boston was going to take Simmons. Even though Boston never had any intention of taking Simmons, they wanted to take... Like, Tatum was their guy the entire time. And if you leapfrog them to one... To take a guy they had zero interest in... Oh, that, that trade's going to haunt Sixers fans forever because how this team will be so good with Jason Tatum. <laughs> Ugh. But that's that's the NBA trade deadline where we're coming down coming down the home stretch of the season a little bit. It's you still got a little bit of a way to go, but we are we are rolling on to the playoffs at this point. But that's all I got for the NBA. That's all I got for the trade deadline. Next segment, switching it. I, I actually wrote the show to uh, ping pong on today's episode between sports and esports. So up next, got some uh, big League of Legends news and my predictions for week three. That's next here on the mashup. And welcome back to the mashup. I know it's not actually a radio show, but it started its life that way, so I still kind of do the radio show format. Sue me. We are, we just got done talking some NBA trade deadline news and me being very depressed about the current state of the Philadelphia 76ers. Hopefully those trade deadline moves uh, fix some of those problems. The, those those new acquisitions, uh, Burks and Robinson will not be able to play tonight and are questionable at best to join the team on Sunday. So I don't know. So obviously they won't make an impact tonight. Hopefully they'll be able to play on Sunday. I believe that game's against the Bulls, which the Sixers, even before those moves on paper should win, but done with NBA switching over and talking about League of Legends week three of the LCS. Interesting slate this week because other than Cloud9's two games and Liquid's first, as far as the tiers I've kind of established in the LCS so far this season, eh, 100 Thieves has two of them. There's not many even matchups on the slate for this weekend because Evil Geniuses and CLG, uh, they are two of the worst teams in LCS right now, but EG has a win, so they are, as of right now, considered a tier above CLG, but they are in the bottom two tiers. Uh, 100 Thieves and Team Liquid are on about the same level, and they're also playing immortals so they have they have a fair matchup but everybody else is playing teams outside of their tier like golden guardians is playing teams from the from uh, the third tier uh clg is playing teams outside of their tier in both their games really cloud 9 is the only one who has equal matchups in both games. 
Cloud9 and 100 Thieves. Because Cloud9 is playing FlyQuest and Dignitas, and those are probably your two probably going to be your two best games of the weekend in terms of overall quality of the team's playing and the game that should result from it. I know Dignitas had an ugly, ugly loss to FlyQuest on Monday, but I think they can put that behind them because that is still a talented roster. Froggen and Hooney alone are good for at least one win a week. And they they have TSM in their first game, so really they should win that tomorrow. I think I think EG beats CLG. 100 Thieves and Team Liquid, it's a bit of a toss-up because even though his visa issues are finally cleared up, Roxa won't be able to join the team until next week just because of flying from Europe to LA and all the all the jet lag that probably comes with that. But at least he will be on the team, hopefully as soon as next week, at least for uh, for Liquid's sake, because they spent a lot of money on him, and for him not be- to be able to play the first three weeks of the LCS is a bit of a uh, a bit of a disappointment when that one was one of the uh, highest profile moves of all of League of Legends free agency uh, heading into this season. So, yeah, Broxa did finally get his visa issues cleared up, and I think him joining the team, presumably next week, will make Liquid considerably better if he plays to his ability and has good cohesion with that roster. Because that's that roster is has um, has a few egos if if you wanna if you wanna call them that that just in in double lift alone as well as Jensen core JJ is kind of the uh, the voice of reason there but double lift and Jensen those guys tend to have especially double lift tends to have um, a bit of an ego but he's also hyper competitive so he'll he'll do what he'll do what needs to be done to win and I think I think once him and Broxa start to gel and uh, Broxa and Jensen start to start to gel a little bit better. That will help Liquid significantly. I, I don't think they're going to be hovering around 500 for much longer. I think because they've got they've got two winnable games this weekend. They can beat 100 Thieves. That one will be a little bit closer than their Monday game against Golden Guardians where they will probably just they will probably just walk to a win in that game. I think they are significantly better than the Golden Guardians are this year. Even though it's it's so early in the season, you can't necessarily go by records, but at the same time, from what I've seen, you kind of can. And I think even given 
the two and two versus one and three record, Team Liquid is still a significantly better team than Golden Guardians. So they will win that game on Monday with relative ease. And I don't see I don't see CL I think CLG could maybe get their first win against EG, but I don't think they're beating Immortals. So overall this week's this week's kind of almost a holding pattern because next week the dynamics flip a little bit now that now that Brox's visa issues are cleared up and he will be playing for Liquid. If it had happened a couple days sooner, he could very well be playing this weekend, but didn't work out that way, so he's going to have to have to wait an extra week. They <coughs> the the big tournament organizers and league organizers really need to figure out this whole visa thing for players because I know you don't want to I know I've advocated on this show for not overusing imported players but I'm not entirely against the idea either and I want North America to host more big tournaments. I I want North America to host MSI. I know North America has worlds in a couple years. Actually, I think it's next year. So those players I assume I I'm not 100% sure how this works, but I'm pretty sure they would still need visas because they are still making money in the U.S. even if they are not and are not U.S. citizens. Even if they're only here for a couple weeks rather than the entire length of a season. So, I'm not 100% sure how that actually works, but I, I have to look into that and see if that's actually a thing. But as far as I know... Anyone who is not a citizen who is making money legally in the U.S. does need a visa. So these these tournament organizers like Riot, Blizzard, Activision as well, technically Ubisoft, like they need to they need to figure this out and figure out how to uh, set this up a little better, so we don't have problems like this where. A team has to go three weeks without their big free agent signing being able to play for them and having to scramble to find someone to play in jungle, especially in a year where the meta shifted hardcore in favor or that emphasized the jungle even more than it already was in your typical game of... League of Legends. So hopefully, and hopefully for Liquid's sake, because the LCS is better when Liquid is good. So hopefully for for Liquid's sake, this signing does actually work out. Even if he he won't be able to play this week, he'll be playing next week. And what's what's Liquid's schedule for next week looking like? You got Immortals on Saturday, and 
CLG on Sunday. That'll that'll actually be a pretty good. Uh, those those games really seem like they serve no purpose beyond uh, warm ups for Brox and getting used to playing in the LCS. Because <laughs> Immortals maybe, but with Broxa, Liquid is probably significantly better. And CLG on Sunday, that's that's an easy win for for Liquid, unless. Unless I'm just totally wrong about this and Broxa just doesn't gel with the team at all, which I don't think will happen. Because he seems like he seems like a chill chill enough guy and his personality should mesh well with the rest of that team. So yeah, I think I think the games next week for Liquid will serve no other purpose other than uh getting Broxa used to playing on the LCS stage rather than in Europe. I mean, I hate to say it about those two other teams. They're just not as good. <laughs> Cause right now the, the class of NA is, is cloud nine FlyQuest, and Dignitas. And now that liquid has their, will have their full roster next week. They should be in that group as well. So other games this weekend, um, Immortals versus Hundred Thieves on Sunday should also be interesting. And obviously, obviously, Dignitas versus Cloud Nine—that'll probably be the best game on Sunday. FlyQuest versus Evil Geniuses—that should be a stomp. Team Liquid will, will stomp Golden Guardians, and Immortals should win relatively comfortably over CLG. So yeah, that kind of a, if you really think about it, other than the cloud nine games, kind of a, kind of a lackluster schedule for, uh, for the games this weekend, obviously, because LCS is, uh, walking the line of mediocrity a little bit this year where you have a couple really good team, a couple great teams, a bunch of really good teams or a bunch of like reasonably good teams and a couple just bad teams. You kind of, you kind of have to walk that line. They're, they're walking the line of uh, mediocrity just a little bit, but the top of LCS is seems better. So Maybe that'll mean good things at uh, good things in international tournaments because that's what really matters in this game. Winning, winning domestic titles doesn't really mean much when you're talking when you're talking league. It is it is very unlike soccer in that way where domestic titles don't really mean that much, and your goal is your goal is is international success and really nothing more at the um the club team level cuz obviously league does not have the national team setup that uh that Overwatch does so it it, it kind of it doesn't directly compare to soccer in that way but at the same time it kind of does because you have you have your individual domestic leagues and then you have international tournaments but in soccer those domestic leagues all around the world 
winning them does actually mean a lot. Like, Liquid will still be considered to have a bad season if they win LCS Spring, they win LCS Summer, but they wash out at MSI and Worlds. Same with any other team that that comes out of NA. Like, Cloud9 could roll through the rest of the LCS, earn a guaranteed trip to MSI, and then wash out at MSI, and then do the same thing at Worlds later this year. Cloud9 will be considered to have had a bad season. Even though they absolutely dominated North America. That's just how league works. Like, domestic titles don't mean that much. Outside of Korea and China. And to a lesser extent to those two, at least, Europe. Like, the LEC is becoming more competitive and more prominent internationally, so winning the LEC is going to start to mean more. The LCS needs to step up its game internationally for winning the the LCS to matter. And that'll take a couple years. Hopefully it does happen, but I don't know if it will. (laughs) Just because... NA has NA teams have failed at Worlds so many times, especially last year. Like you can't you can't get much worse than not one of your three teams making it out of groups, and everybody getting kind of embarrassed in the process of not making it out of groups. So hopefully a slightly more competitive LCS will lead to better things at MSI Rift Rivals and Worlds over the course of the rest of the year. But that that's that's just one guy's hope. Doesn't mean it'll be the actual reality. But that's all I got for league. Like I said, kind of a kind of a lackluster slate this weekend other than there's a few good games here and there, but Next weekend will be the real interest that comes in when Broxa is playing in North America with Team Liquid. And and him combined with Doublelift should be kind of a scary combination if, if they're both playing to the level that everyone knows they're capable of. But that's all I got for League. Going to switch it back over to traditional sports and... Uh, Baseball's a mess right now, and not for the reason it was just a couple weeks ago. Because baseball decided to get crazy this offseason. So uh, we'll we'll get into that right after this on the mashup. And we're back on the mashup. Just finished talking some League of Legends. It was mostly about uh, Brox's visa issues, because... Kind of a boring schedule this week, especially with the holding pattern Liquid's in, now that Brox has to wait another week before he can actually play, just because of timing and practice and all that stuff. But, done with League. Now it's time for the continuing drama of baseball's baseball's wildest offseason I can ever remember. Because not often does all this crazy stuff go down in baseball before pitchers and catchers even report. Very rare this happens. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. And 
You have managers getting fired. You have cheating allegations. You have people saying you should strip the Astros of their World Series title, which again is stupid. I don't want to take it away from the Red Sox either, and I hate the Red Sox. But now, the Red Sox have pulled the small market move of trading one of their best players because they refuse to pay him. Because they want to get under the luxury tax. And to do that, they have to trade one of the young guys because they gave really bad contracts to other people. And I I get that they don't want to pay the luxury tax anymore because the luxury tax in Major League Baseball is insane. It's I think it's like 40%. It's really high. It is really high. So while it is not technically a salary cap... It is kind of a salary cap (laughs) because it's just so ridiculously expensive to go over it. So I understand why they traded Mookie Betts. I think it was kind of a dumb decision because he was one of the first likable Red Sox players I have ever come across, at least from the perspective of a Red Sox hating Orioles fan. I actually liked Mookie Betts. He was he was fun to watch play baseball because he was very good at it. Um, except when he played the Orioles, because he uh, made our pretty bare bones pitching staff look exactly as bare bones as they are, and it was uh, it was frustrating to say the least. So thank God he's not in our division anymore, and he's not even in the American League. He went to the Dodgers in a big three-team trade that involved the Twins and some pitchers. But now that trade is about to fall apart, possibly. The Red Sox might back out, and I don't even know what's going on anymore. It could just be wishful thinking from Boston media, who just absolutely hate FSG anyway, uh, Fenway Sports Group. The the owners of actually every team that that has Boston in their name. There's only two owners uh, across the... uh, Across the five big sports teams and big professional sports teams in Boston. It's, uh, FSG and the Kraft family. And the, the three that actually play in the city of Boston are all owned by FSG. So uh, it, it's a great feeling when it's a great feeling when you hate uh, when you hate them as Red Sox owners, but still for, cheer for the other two teams. <laughs> Oh, Red Sox fans, I don't actually feel sorry for you at all because a lot of this stuff I've seen about the trade falling apart has come from some national sources, but I think it'll still get done. I think I think they'll hammer out the details because I know the Red Sox want this team want this trade to happen because they don't want to lose Mookie Betts for nothing at the end of this season when he hits free agency. <laughs> because He's going to sign somewhere for a whole lot of money. I don't know if it'll actually be worth it to that team that signs him to a whole lot of money because he'll be he'll be 28 um, next season. So you you're signing him to one of those deals where you're sacrificing the last couple years for the first five, six relative to however long the, uh, the, whatever the term of the deal is. Uh, 
But my, my actual point, Red Sox fans, I don't actually feel sorry for you at all. Because many other teams have have suffered this before. Uh, many, including one of them in your division. Something you and the Yankees perpetuate by just throwing money at people. And it is very annoying that... I know you had the ridiculously long curse that finally broke in 2005. But since 2005, you have won four World Series titles. Four. You know how much changed between 2005 and 2018? A lot. When you won your first World Series title, I was in the fifth grade. When you won that fourth World Series title, I was a senior in college. And I had to deal with the Red Sox being good for basically that entire time. One of my team's primary rivals being obnoxiously good with a lot of, with a whole lot of bandwagon fans who have never been to Boston once, but say they're Red Sox fans because the Red Sox are good and they have no connection to Boston whatsoever. They, they don't have family from there. They have never been there. They've never been to Fenway. Nothing. I have dealt with that my entire life. And guess what? I really don't care that your best player is going to the Dodgers. Because guess what? My team's best player just went to the Dodgers two years ago. He's not with them right now, but he still got traded to the Dodgers two years ago. And it was not the first time that's happened. It's probably the 80th time that has happened. And guess what? I have no sympathy. In 15 years, you have won four World Series titles. The Orioles went 15 years without a winning season. I did not consciously observe, because I wasn't old enough, I did not consciously observe an Orioles winning season until I was 17. So, spare me your tears that... Your owners finally decided to make a good business decision and not spend 40%, an extra 40% on their payroll to just guarantee World Series wins because they can. Spare me your tears. Spare me your crying. You won four over the course of 15 years. The city of Boston has won so many titles in the past couple years. Obnoxious kids make banners about how old they are and relative to how many parades they've seen. You know how many I've seen? Two. And really, I only saw one of them because I was too young to really understand what was going on when the first one happened. And I haven't seen one since. It's been seven years since the last parade in Baltimore. Now, the Ravens are doing their part. I think they will get a parade, probably several, within the next five years. But the Orioles? I know I joke about, oh, Adley Rutschman, 2023 World Series MVP, every time I see him do something on Twitter. But I don't know that. That is mostly just a joke of me trying to have hope that one day my baseball team will be good again. The Red Sox will be good again. It won't take them long. They're the Red Sox. They're going to get tired of sucking and throw more money at somebody else very soon. 
Well, I well, my team has to suffer an agonizing rebuild. Their over-under win total for this year is 55 and a half. The Red Sox will win 55 games probably by the end of July. They might not make the playoffs. They might not have a winning record. But they'll they'll win 55 games pretty easily this year. I know their pitching staff's a little wrecked, but the Red Sox are going to be better than the Orioles this year. And they will be better than the Orioles next year. The first time the Orioles really have a chance to be better than the Red Sox between now and whenever is 2022. And even that is being generous. So, no. Spare me your tears. Spare me your complaining at your owners because you have no idea what a cheap owner is. You have no idea. A cheap owner is Peter Angelos, who refuses to use the revenue of broadcasts from not one, but two Major League Baseball teams. He owns the broadcast rights of the Washington Nationals. Or at least he had for the entire times the Nationals have existed. That that deal is about to dissolve because Major League Baseball hates the Orioles. But he refused to put any of that money back into the team. Masson made him a whole lot of money. Because during baseball's offseason, Masson picked up the broadcasts of a lot of local colleges. And that also made them money. And he refused to put any of that money back into the team. John might be doing it a little bit better, but for my entire life, I had to deal with the one of the cheapest owners in all of baseball. So you don't know what a cheap owner is. Talk to an Indians fan. Talk to an Orioles fan. Talk to a Rays fan. Then you know what a real cheap owner is. So Red Sox fans, spare me your tears. Really, if you want to talk to a fan base with a really really bad ownership, talk to a Mets fan. Yeah, you, you've seen the mess they're in, right? Ugh, I can actually calm down and, and talk about this one because I don't have as much of an emotional attachment, attachment to the New York Mets. I just feel bad for Mets fans on this one. I feel bad because in the sake of, in the case of the Orioles, they are trying to be better. And John Angelos, who is not technically the owner, but is really running the day-to-day operations. Cause Peter Angelos is, uh, it's getting up there in years and, is really not capable of running the team anymore. And I don't think John will be as cheap. Mets fans have to deal with a terrible, terrible ownership group in the Wilpons. They thought they had their saving grace in Steve Cohen who was about to spend much more money than the Mets were even valued at to buy a bigger share of ownership. Cause I think, I think the number I saw is he owns 8% of the Mets. 
he wanted to buy a larger controlling share, which I think is reasonable enough because the man is a diehard Mets fan and he's tired of them being awful. And Mets fans were very happy that over the course of the next five years, the Wilpons would slowly relinquish control and majority ownership to, or controlling controlling interest to Steve Cohen for a whole lot of money. And they would just back out of baseball. They would just back out of baseball entirely. Well, that deal fell through because Jeff Wilpon is a moron. And now Steve Cohen is not going to buy a larger stake in the team. And from what I've seen on Twitter, Mets fans are not too happy. I think anyone who is even remotely plugged into baseball Twitter has seen the, uh, I want to say the guy's name was Matthew, uh, his response to his normal season ticket rep uh, reaching out to him and wanting to like do her job and see if he was going to re-up his season ticket plan. And he had this, uh, he had this very oddly eloquent response of saying, I know you're just doing this. I know you're just doing your job. So please don't take this personally. Uh, I will not spend another cent of my hard earned money on the Mets while those weasels are still in control of the team. <laughs> like he had a, he had an oddly eloquent response for someone who was probably very mad at this particular organization. And he said, like, don't email me anymore. Like, I'm not going to spend any money on this team until the Wilpons sell them. And they're still, they're still doing something, but they're very clearly calling it a transaction. And the bank or investment firm or whatever it is who they hired to facilitate this transaction a member of the Wilpon family has a pretty high ranking job there. And it took no time to find this information. It was a quick LinkedIn search. So they're not going to do anything. They're not going to do a thing. They're going to keep running this team into the ground. And that's a shame because New York is a major market and there is more than enough room in New York for two baseball teams. And both of them to be good. I know that's not normally how it happens because there's two New York teams in every sport and usually one of them's good, one of them sucks. Or the much more likely path of, um, actually one of them, one of them's good, one of them sucks. And they're both awful is the most common. Very rarely are they both good (laughs) in any of the major sports. Like right now the Giants and Jets both terrible. The the Knicks are awful and the Nets are okay. Uh, the Rangers are rebuilding and the Islanders are overachieving. And then the Yankees are good and the net and the Mets are awful. That's kind of the biggest 
example of the New York the New York dichotomy. One of them's good, one of them's awful. The the Yankees and the Mets is the the prime example of that. And it's I'm sorry, Mets fans, but I don't think the Wilpons are are going anywhere anytime soon. Unless unless Steve Cohen just just gets a couple of his other really rich friends together and instead of doing this more generously, he just initiates a full blown, like hostile takeover of just buying out the Wilpons. I have no idea how that would work, but just just forcibly remove this family of idiots and possible criminals from from running this major league baseball team and hopefully make them actually competitive because they really should be they're in New York and there is more than enough fan support and money to go around for two teams because all four of the majors plus MLS have two teams in New York or that represent New York because uh the Giants and Jets both play in Jersey, but they are New York teams. So hopefully, for the sake of Mets fans' sanity, they do actually sell the team. Because eventually there's not going to be anyone at the games. City Field's just going to be empty. And it's going to be sad, because that's actually, from what I've seen, a pretty nice ballpark. So hopefully... They can get it straightened out. And just to bring it back around, Red Sox fans, you truly don't know a cheap owner until you suffer through what Mets fans have suffered through. That's all I got for baseball. Going to take another switcheroo and talk some Overwatch League opening weekend. I did my overall season preview earlier this week, but I'm actually going to dive in to the games that are happening this weekend right after we take a quick break here on The Mashup. And we're back on The Mashup once again, switching it back over to eSports. Ping-ponging the show this today, this week. It's a a twice-a-week show now. Got to get used to that. Anyway, ping-ponging the show today. Just got done ranting about um, baseball. Uh, that, that was fun. I, I haven't done I haven't done a good rant in a long time. So that felt that felt very good to uh, to kind of get back to my roots. That's that's how I started out doing doing sports talk was a lot of uh, very angry rant content. So it, it felt good to, to go back to my roots a little bit there. But now switching it up, I'm calmed down. I'm my heart rate is down. I drank some water. I am good. Anyway. Overwatch League is kicking off this weekend in two separate cities. And I like that they're doing this. That they are having... That there's going to be some variety. It's And obviously, I hate to keep comparing them to Call of Duty League, but they are indirectly run by the same company. So it's nice that they're doing something different and not doing the weird kind of weird tournament structure that Call of Duty League has. And I like that other than the canceled events in China 
over the next like two months the the having two different cities on the same day at different times is a really good idea i i really like that idea because the way the schedule both days is set up that second game from new york will end and they'll pretty much just be able to throw it right to dallas for the two dallas games on saturday and on sunday Games start a little bit. No, they start at the same time, uh, both days in in both cities. They start at one. They start at one in New York, and they start at uh, five Eastern time in Dallas. So, I like that because that that second game should probably be over, probably a little after four. That'll give you time to throw to Dallas, do pregame from Dallas, and then get into the game. But overall, these are. These are some interesting matchups in the first weekend because really, New York has a pretty easy road at home. (laughs) They play London and they play Boston. They are significantly better than both of those teams. (laughs) And then uh, Toronto and London both play Paris. So those those are your three teams that are in... New York this weekend, and I think uh, New York will be probably the only one to come out to it now. Like Toronto will beat Paris. Toronto will beat Paris. Uh, Paris will beat London, but London will lose to New York, and then New York will pretty easily beat Boston because. Unless Boston just found some magic sauce to suddenly make themselves good after blowing up their entire roster last year. I don't think I don't think they have the chemistry to beat a reasonably good New York team cuz I know I know New York's made some some roster changes as well, but they're still proven players. Yeah, they're they still have Mono, they still have Sabiobi, they still have Jonak, Libero, Nene. That's that's most of their core from last year. And they've they've added some other good players. They added in Hotba, who's a reasonably good backup tank. Who are you, who's a really good DPS? He'll probably be coming off the bench. Just because Sabiobi, Libero, and Nene have actually proven themselves at the OWL level. So yeah, I think I think New York does pretty well for themselves on their their home weekend. Just because I mean, let's be real here, they're they were given a they were given a pretty easy homestand weekend. Toronto's got Scherfer. Scherfer and Karev. That's about it. This is a brand new roster, too. Because some of these guys, these these guys are good players. Agilities, uh, Mangachu, Karev, Beast, Logics. These are Kellex, definitely Kellex. Like these are good players. Just 
none of them were on Toronto last year because Overwatch League's website does not have their pictures wearing Toronto jerseys. Only one guy, Rocky. Rocky. He's the only one. So, yeah, I think... I think uh, New York takes their weekend pretty easily. They come out 2-0 compared to some of these other teams that are basically building brand new rosters from the ground up. Like, Color Hex Fusions and Axiom are sticking around for Boston, from Boston last year. Everyone else is new. I know that's that's kind of your core, but at the same time, team chemistry is going to be a thing. <laughs> so Boston has a bit of a bit of an uphill climb coming into this season. And Paris did Paris did a lot of the same with kind of changing with uh changing the heck out of their roster to uh to maybe try to be a little bit more competitive. They've they've done less changes. They've still they've still got some they've still got some pretty good players on that team. It's just a matter of finding chemistry and there's some uh there's some nationality mixing going on here where you're you're dealing with people who are uh, not, well, I think all of them are European. So very few of them, if they're doing comms in English are communicating in their, in their native language. Because when you're, when you're dealing with a multinational roster, it tends to be easier to do comms in English, but like none of these guys are really native English speakers. A few of them are French uh, from other various parts of Europe. So I think, I think New York uh, being one of the, the few uh, all Korean teams still left. I think I'm pretty sure London has held on to that as well. Yeah. They've, they've held on to uh, all Korean, but this same thing for them. It's a, uh, this is like this is like a brand new roster. So that'll be that'll be a challenge for them and that's why I think New York New York has a pretty easy weekend ahead of them and just the insanity of the fact that these games are happening at the Hammerstein Ballroom. One of the most historic venues in all of New York. It's like like an old school I'm pretty sure they they do boxing shows there it, it's def I know it more as a wrestling venue but it is a as far as a wrestling venue goes it is a historic wrestling venue <laughs> so for and it just from the way it's set up it does not look like an esports venue at all <laughs> it doesn't even look like a sports venue it looks like an old theater <laughs> It, it really does. It looks like an old theater on the inside more. And that's what it is. It, it is technically still a theater. So that's, that's going to be the interesting thing. And that's, there's a few other, 
there's a few other like that over the course of the season. Like teams don't have esports dedicated stadiums in their home markets yet, so they're just they're just using whatever they can find. Uh, the Battle of Brotherly Love next weekend in Philly. Is it the Me- is it the Metropolitan Philadelphia? There, there's there's more than a few of these. Uh, the Anthem in D.C. That's also a theater. That's in two weeks. Uh, the Hangzhou Theater in Hangzhou. That event was canceled because of coronavirus, but that was meant to be in a theater. The Revention Music Center in Houston. Like, other than Dallas, I don't think anyone else has uh, dedicated arenas. <laughs> Mayhem's is going to be at the Watsko Center, which is a basketball arena. You're you're getting a little bit closer. That's a that's a sports venue. Coca-Cola Roxy. I'm pretty sure that's a concert venue in Atlanta. Uh, Zellerback Hall at UC Berkeley. I'm not sure what that is. Like most of these are in either traditional sports venues or just like theaters. Which is uh, an interesting choice to say the least other than other than Dallas their their first their theirs is at Arlington Esports Stadium which I looked up I looked at their website it is it is a pretty nice looking venue it is a it is a reasonably sized very nice esports venue and I tend to like this because uh, this is where Philadelphia is building theirs too it is near the other major stadiums in Arlington. It is in the shadow of Rangers ballpark and AT&T stadium. It is right there. So keep it close that sports fans in that area associate that area with sports. So having your esports arena there can only be a good thing. At least in my mind, it might, uh, it might make some of the older people uh, not too happy, but whatever. Like, I think that's a good idea. And as, as far as these games in Dallas go, Dallas is lucky they don't have to play Vancouver, who was one of the best teams all of last year and looks to be one of the best teams this year again. But they have to play... San Francisco. So they get an easy-ish game on Saturday that they probably should win against the Valiant. And these poor guys have to play the reigning champions in their first game of the new season to close out the weekend. It is the last game of opening weekend is San Francisco Shock against Dallas Fuel. And, uh, hey, Overwatch League, can you maybe get on the idea of the champions opening up the new season at home? Because playing in Dallas after you were pretty clearly the best team all of last season and are the reigning champions, playing on the road against what is probably going to be a very hostile crowd, because the crowd for Dallas's last homestand last season was great. I know it. And I know it got a lot of people mad that uh, the Dallas fans were were booing the Valiant. They called it cringe. 
I don't think that's cringe. I think that's called being a fan. So the San Francisco Shock are going to have to go into an environment like that as reigning champions. And I don't think... When is their... I want to say their home weekend is... When is their home weekend? It's it's not for a while. Yeah, their first home weekend is not until week eight. It is the end of March. So they don't play at home until March 28th. They will play their first game on February 9th. I know home games are kind of nebulous in Overwatch League, but really these are these are all home games for Dallas. Like if Houston was was playing in these games and even if they were designated the home team, they would get booed like crazy. And it's going to happen to San Francisco and it's a shame cuz they're the reigning champions and they're not going to play at home until the end of March. Which is, which is like a real shame. <laughs> Overwatch League, you, for the most part, I like what you're doing with your schedule set up this season. I don't like that. That your reigning champions are not the ones who kick off the new season. Like, the first game should be. San Francisco shock against somebody from San Francisco. And you can have, obviously just given the way your league is set up, you would have other games there too. But the first game should be say like, I don't know. Heck New York, New York versus San Francisco from San Francisco. That is that is a showcase that is two of your best teams. It is your reigning champion at home. Not in Dallas. At home. And San Francisco's first home weekend is at UC Berkeley. You would draw a crowd. You're at Berkeley. There are so many gamers there. They would love that. I don't know. Just a... Just a weird schedule complaint. I think Shock win that game against Dallas, despite the probably raucous environment they're going to be playing in. I think Vancouver wins both of their games. And Dallas Valiant's a bit of a toss-up. Valiant's lost a lot of talent. Dallas hasn't. So that one's that one's a bit of a toss-up for me. Titans win both of their games against the the two LA teams. That's that's easy. And Shock beat the Fuel. I I can I have pretty strong confidence in those in those predictions. Same thing with New York. Um, I, I'd say Paris beats Toronto. New York beats London. Uh, London and Paris is that is uh, that. Arena's toss-up, and then New York beats Boston. If I had to pick one in London, Paris, I think I'd give it to London. Yeah, I think I'd give that one to London. Just, that one's close. That one one could go to map five. 
So yeah, that's that, that's what I got for Overwatch League. Hey, Activision Blizzard, next year have your reigning champions open the season. Anyway, that's that's what I got for Overwatch. Switched up again in the next segment, talking some college basketball. It's starting to stabilize a little bit, but this week was still pretty crazy. Right after this, here on the mashup. Time for some college basketball. It's not normal that I put it this late on the show, but I felt like ping-ponging, and there aren't many major stories. There were there were a couple more wild finishes, like Butler and Villanova. Those two, wow. Props to you guys. That was awesome to watch. And made it even better. Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery were on the call. Mm. Gus Johnson plus Hinkle Fieldhouse usually leads to something insane. That's that's just I mean Gus Gus Johnson plus college basketball usually leads to something insane, but you put him in a temple of the game like Hinkle Fieldhouse, it leads to even more insanity. It was I think Raf said something like you got a double dose of onions on on that final shot from Baldwin. And uh, when you get a double dose of onions, you know you have uh, made made Raph very excited. <laughs> the man is such a good color commentator. I, I don't care what anyone says. And, and Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery is, is like the perfect pairing. I hate that, uh, that Vern Lundquist and Bill Raftery is, uh, is no longer a thing when tournament time rolls around. Because that's just... That that was amazing. I, I compared them to a, a nicer Waldorf and Statler. <laughs> Just because it, it's like two old two older guys making really dumb jokes the entire time. <laughs> and that was a, a very a very accurate assessment of uh, of what usually happens when uh, when those two guys are in the same booth. But yeah, that was that was an insane game. Those are two very good teams. But Butler and Villanova are both, I think, poised to make a pretty deep run. But one of the one of the bigger things that that happened this week, mostly just in the the grand scheme of college basketball, that people only noticed because it was against one of the good teams, was uh, boy did Wake Forest choke. <laughs> wow. That was bad. They were up pretty big at the half against a very good Louisville team at home. What was that halftime score? They were up 12 at halftime. 46-34. That should be... A 12-point lead should be relatively easy to hold in a game like basketball for 20 minutes. That is, you you have to give up less than, like, you don't even have to play defense that hard. You're up 12. Just kind of keep doing what you've been doing, and you're going to win the game. Because at a certain point, it's just going to be mathematically impossible to come back, and both teams are going to empty their benches. Well, that is not what happened. 
Wake's offense went ice cold, and their defense forgot how to play, and they ended up giving up 52 points in the second half. Now, credit to Louisville for for going on an 18-5 run in the second half, and you end up winning by 10. But how does that happen if you're awake? I mean, I know you're on the road, and Louisville's crowd is rocking, but still, you are up 12 in basketball at the half. You couldn't keep doing what you were doing to at least some level for 20 minutes of game time. 20 minutes. It's not that long. A college basketball second half in real time takes about 40 minutes. Not even that. It takes about 30. No, a little more than that because a game, a full game takes about an hour and a half, two hours. So, a college basketball second half, real time, takes about 35 minutes. You couldn't keep up what you were doing for that relatively short amount of time when you're talking about an entire day. You just completely collapse and let a team you were basically dominating on the road go on an 18-5 to run. I mean, look, I know they're better than you. But again, you were up 12. Man, Danny Manning. I don't know what happened to him when he took that uh when he took that Wake Forest job, but he is just not the guy. He is just not the guy at all. He is he is clearly proven he was a very good player, but he is not a coach. Because they're just, they just haven't been good with him in charge. I don't know if it's his recruiting or his actual X's and O's coaching skills. But I mean, there's, there's got to be something there that he is just doing wrong. Because they're near the bottom of the ACC pretty much every year. I mean, that's not entirely his fault. Wake Forest really hasn't been that good at basketball since Chris Paul graduated. That was a long time ago. But Danny Manning is just is just not the guy. How out of out of that the the Danny Manning and the Miracles team and that that era of Kansas basketball did Mark Turgeon become a more successful head coach? Just let that sink in. Mark Turgeon, the guy who, as a freshman, his coach told, you will never play in the NBA, so you should just give up now and focus on learning how to be a coach. Really? That guy ended up being a better coach than you. I know playing skill doesn't always translate to coaching, but it usually does. Usually a good player usually ends up at least being a reasonably successful coach. And Danny Manning was a very good player in his time at Kansas. And he was an okay coach at Tulane, which is what got him the Wake Forest job. But since he took the Wake Forest job, they have just been terrible. 
Like, Wake Forest needs to make a change. Let's see if they have. Because it's not exactly in my uh, in my wheelhouse of news that I get regularly. But I mean, they probably should. Doesn't look like they have. Yeah, scrolling through their Twitter, it, it, uh, no, cause there's, there's the final from the game and, oh, this is a convenient tweet. Jeez. 2011 to present. Their winning percentage is 431. They have no ACC titles. They've been in the tournament once and they have had no All-Americans. I don't think, uh, I don't think all of that is, uh, how long is, how long has Danny Manning been there? Because I feel like it's been longer than that. Or hasn't been that long. And even that, uh, and even that, that NCAA tournament appearance was a play-in game. So they, um, yeah, they, they need to make a change. He's been there since 2014. He's been there for six years and they still haven't, and they still haven't been even remotely successful with him in charge. They wait, it's time to make a change. I know he's got a pretty fat buyout, but you need to eat that because it's hard enough when you're in the ACC and you are, you are fourth fiddle in, in North Carolina. And that's being generous. You need to make a change and get the next hire, right? Because that was just bad. And you're going to, you're probably going to continue to be bad because Clearly, that athletic athletic department, that administration has no clue what they're doing. Because the football team's not amazing either. But, on to a more positive note, the committee is releasing their first set of top 16 seeds this weekend. And last year, that was some pretty good information. This year, I have no clue what that'll really tell you. Because... It's so unpredictable this year. Other than where the committee's head is at and what they're valuing. Because comparing the um, the net rankings and the Ken Palm, they are very different. Number one in the net is San Diego State. Number one in the Ken Palm is Kansas. In Ken Palm, San Diego State's four in net. Kansas is four. So they're flipped. So judging, judging based on these lists, actually for the most part, they're, they're relatively similar. There is, there is some, there is some similarities like Seton Hall is 13 in both. Maryland's 10 in both. 
Uh, Gonzaga is higher in net than they are in Ken Palm. But for the most part, I think, I think the net ranking right now is pretty solid. And I can also see it's kind of a balance of the two because the net rankings are, well, no, the net rankings are, are computer based as well. They just use a, they just use a different formula, but they're the nets top 20 for the most part is pretty good. I think, I think Auburn might be a little high because they've had some, they've had some questionable losses. Auburn's sitting at 17. I think they're a little high, but for the most part, I think this is pretty good. And, and really the, the Ken Palm 20 is pretty good as well. Yeah. Villanova's a little low. They're sure they're 17 and five, but they're 17 and five in a really good conference in the big East. I think the big East is, is more top heavy. The big 10 is, is deeper and that, and the two of them both have a case for best conference, just based on, again, what you value. But I think right now I would have to say, my four my four ones would be uh San Diego State San Diego State actually yeah the the net rankings are pretty dead on with my four ones San Diego State Baylor Gonzaga and Kansas that's and they're they're also the top the, the top four is a little bit different in Ken Palm. I don't think Duke Duke is number two in Ken Palm. I don't think they're that good. I think I think they're the number one two seed. As far as the twos go, I would say I don't think I'd give it to Dayton. I I think um the twos I'd probably go I'd probably go six through six through nine in Ken Palm, Duke, Louisville, Arizona, and West Virginia. And then your threes are Dayton, Maryland, Michigan state, and Butler and your fours, uh, Seton hall, Florida state, Villanova. And uh, either Auburn or Colorado. Now Auburn, cause Auburn, Auburn does have a better, a significantly better record. Yeah. Yeah, the top four in net is is dead on. That those are my those are my four seeds. Uh Duke's your number one two. Then then Louisville. Arizona and West Virginia. Uh probably Maryland, Butler, Seton Hall, and Dayton are threes. Michigan State. Florida State, Villanova, and Ohio State are fours. Yeah, I, I think I think that's pretty good because Michigan State's had some had some very questionable losses. I know it's the Big Ten and and nobody wins on the road in the Big Ten, but I think I think Michigan State will Michigan State and Maryland will both suffer a little bit in the seating for that. Like they'll both be they'll both be threes at best just because of 
kind of the 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 Big Ten kind of eating itself alive with uh, for a good chunk of the season nobody able to win on the road. So we'll we'll see when the the committee top sixteen comes out uh, tomorrow. And credit to the committee for trying to figure this out because this has been a mess of a season. <laughs> this has been an absolute mess of a season. So the fact that uh, they are even going along with doing a top 16 in the first full week of February, credit to them because this has been a very hard season to figure out. And the one thing we'll really get from this is where their heads are at and what, what they're going to value. Are they going to value strength of schedule more? Are they going to value, are they just going to look at the net ranking and go one through 16? I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll probably be pulling from the top. I think they'll end up pulling from what is right now, the top 20. And they might take, I think they take Ken Palm into account as well. So that'll, that'll hurt. If they take Ken Palm, that'll hurt a team like Villanova. Because Villanova's near the bottom of Ken Palm's top 25. They're, they're at 23, which I, I don't agree with. I, I think they're better than that. I think they're, they're somewhere in like the 15 to 18 range. This year, because it is by their standards a down year, but they're still a, a very good team. So I, I'd put them a little bit higher than they are in Ken Palm, but I think they're, I think they're about right where they should be. Yeah, they're 15 in in net, so I think they're right about where they should be. But will the committee just go one through 16? I don't think they will. I think I think you're going to get 16 teams from the top 20. And a few of these get few of these other guys in the top sixteen will be fives unofficially. You just you just won't know. Like whatever four teams from the top twenty get left out, those are probably your unofficial fives as well. But that's that's what I've got for college basketball. I'll obviously have uh, reactions to the committee's top sixteen on Tuesday's show, but. That's all I've got for college basketball right now. Actually, let's do a quick let's do a quick rundown of the top twenty-five for this weekend. Obviously, tonight I think the lone top twenty-five game is Maryland at Illinois, which is for sole possession of first place in the Big Ten. So that's that's a that's a pretty big deal, and that should be a good game because Big Ten teams have finally learned how to win on the road. It's just a matter of. Uh, is is Maryland going to be able to? Because they've been wildly inconsistent for a large majority of this season. And rest of the weekend, a lot of rivalry games. Yeah, it's rivalry weekend. So uh, if you like if you like rivalries, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be very happy this weekend. Florida State versus Miami, LSU versus Auburn, Michigan State at Michigan. Kentucky at Tennessee, St. Louis at Dayton, West Virginia at Oklahoma, Seton Hall, Villanova, Virginia, Louisville. Eh, that's not much of a rivalry. Minnesota, Penn State, not much of a rivalry either. Baylor, Oklahoma State is reasonable. Duke, North Carolina, and they're 
hideous Walmart jerseys they're they're wearing this year for the hundredth anniversary. God, those are terrible. If you if you haven't seen them, look them up. They look awful. They they look like they just got pulled off the shelf at Walmart. Uh, Creighton St. John's that is not a rivalry. I don't care how much the Big East wants it to be. Stanford Colorado, or yeah, Stanford Colorado, San Diego State Air Force. Gonzaga-St. Mary's, that is a rivalry game. Uh, Gonzaga should win that relatively easily. Uh, Arizona-UCLA, not much of a rivalry, but it kind of is. And Oregon-Oregon State, that that is a rivalry. So, if you like big college basketball rivalries, you are going to be very happy this weekend. Because there are a lot of them. Uh, it's a shame because a lot of the opposite sides of these a lot of these rivalries, the at least half of them are having a not great year. North Carolina. Like that game's in Chapel Hill, and really you you're supposed to throw the record book out the window when these two teams play each other, but North Carolina's pretty bad this year. That that usually applies when both teams are good. Because normally they are. They're usually both in the top ten. <laughs> Duke's in the top 10 this year. Near the bottom of the top 10, but in the top 10 nonetheless. North Carolina isn't. So, uh, yeah, that that's an easy, easy, easy win for Duke. So, yeah, that... But important games for, for some of these big teams just because, like, the committee's rankings are coming out this weekend. And Butler Marquette on Sunday should be... Should also be a really good game. That is, Marquette's not ranked, but they have Marcus Howard, and Butler's a good team. So that that should be a fun one, one way or the other. But that's what I got for college basketball. One more segment left. Call of Duty League is back again this weekend, and they are coming from London, which I don't understand at all why they're doing London so early in the season. Because those games are very early in the morning. The games are very early in Eastern Time. They're much worse on the West Coast, but still, that's uh, it's a little early. But I'll uh, I'll break down those games anyway in the final segment, right after this uh, transition sound effect. Hmm. All right, final segment of the show on this Friday, if uh, at time of recording at least. Uh, whenever you're listening to this, it is still the final segment of the show. But anyway, Call of Duty League, they took a week off because they wanted to make their travel schedule a little bit more bearable than what Overwatch is doing, where you're just globe hopping every week. And I can respect that. But problem is, these games are in London. And time difference between the East Coast and London is five hours. So, uh, that first game on Saturday is happening at 6 a.m. Eastern time. That's Paris versus New York. Uh, that's two middle-of-the-road at best teams. I think New York wins. They, uh, they kind of screwed up the schedule a little bit on this one. The, the marquee match. That uh, is still happening at 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern U.S. time. Is London versus Toronto. I get why that's the featured match. Because it's in London. 
but that's kind of a boring matchup because same thing. Both teams are kind of middle of the road at best, if not a little bit lower than that. Like Group B, for the most part, which is London, Toronto, Paris, New York, is really kind of boring. Like the interesting matchups are in are in Group A. Seattle has uh, has played well. They've just been unable to finish games. They're taking on Dallas, who are actually good at search and destroy. So Dallas will probably win. Hopefully, Seattle's been practicing search and destroy over the last two weeks. And Chicago's playing LA Gorillas. Uh, Chicago wins that one without needing LA Gorillas to do something stupid to forfeit. I think Chicago could very easily 3 0 that one. Like map five map four, map five, just not necessary. They'll I think they'll 3 0 that one. And in that case, they would play Dallas. And New York would play London in the next set of games. And then vice versa. Um, What would it be? Paris would play Toronto. And LA would play Seattle. So for the most part, I think think at the end of the day, your, your finals on Sunday end up coming down to Chicago versus London. Like your group A finals are going to be Chicago, Dallas. Your group B will probably be London, New York. Cause I don't think, I don't think Toronto and Paris are really all that good. I don't think New York and London are amazing either, but they're better than they're better than Paris and Toronto. But what I like is, uh, the possibility of Chicago and Dallas already having a rematch <laughs> as weird as it sounds like, Having them, they're probably going to end up playing each other twice this weekend. Because they're going to play in the first knockout. Or the, like the winner's game. uh, Later in the day on Saturday. And more than likely... uh, Dallas is going to come back out of loser's bracket... And um, and face Chicago in the semis on Sunday. It, it's it's just a fact that that Dallas is just better than Seattle. It's it's kind of the truth. Dallas is just better than Seattle, and they're they're better than LA. Like LA is good. I think I think group A is the is the stronger group at the London event. But like there is a clear hierarchy there. Chicago is better than Dallas. Dallas is better than LA. LA and Seattle are about evenly matched. Cuz Seattle just can't win search and destroy <laughs> at all. And LA, even though I hate to admit it, did did kind of get screwed in their in that match against Minnesota in uh, over launch weekend on, on Friday night like that, that legitimately wasn't super fair, but the guy knew hardline was banned and he still picked it. 
So you, you got to face the consequences, and you forfeited map two, and you end up you really ended up losing that series because of it. I've I've already made my opinion known on that. the The forfeit didn't lose you the series; you lost you the series. Be, but it did get in your head. So if the, that forfeit didn't happen, you probably would have won. But even with that happening, you should have won anyway, because LAG are better than Minnesota. That's that's just a fact. Like they are on paper the better team. Like that is a game they should have won with or with or without the forfeit on map two. Like whatever, just went on domination and went on the second hardpoint map. You have the skill and the capability of, to do that, but you let the forfeit get in your heads. Don't let Chicago get in your heads this weekend or you're going to get dumpstered. I mean, they're they're probably going to lose 3-0, maybe 3-1 anyway. But don't make it too embarrassing. <laughs> because, like, as it stands right now, Chicago, Chicago and Atlanta are the two best teams in the league. And thankfully, they're more than likely going to play each other. On the on the Chicago the Chicago home event weekend in about two months. Oh, we have to wait that long? Well, they're both in Atlanta in two weeks. They're just in different groups. Uh, Atlanta's in A, Chicago's in B. But just based on the other teams that are there, they will probably meet on Sunday in Atlanta in two weeks, which is going to be insane. I'm actually looking forward to uh, to the Atlanta weekend a little bit more, just because one, those times are much more much more favorable to me, because London's just so early, and the teams that are there are overall better. There's yeah, there, there's only three good, there's only three really good teams at this one too. But the possibility of Chicago versus Atlanta on the la- on the finals on Sunday that's that's enough to uh, make it intriguing. But that's that's next weekend. As far as as far as this weekend goes, it's probably going to be Chicago and London playing on Sunday. I could maybe see I could maybe see New York. Uh, squeaking out the win instead, but Toronto and Paris just just aren't aren't going to be able to do it. Chicago has the best team at this event, and they're no matter who they're playing on Sunday, they're going to be favored to win. Unless unless they stumble in Group A finals, which I don't think they will. I I think they're going to go undefeated on the weekend and they're they're gonna win they're gonna win the uh the london event just because they've proven them in atlanta are the two best teams in the league and i'm excited for them to uh, more than likely play each other on sunday in a couple weeks and be in the same group in about two months in chicago i i'm glad they're uh they're both more than likely to play each other at at their 
at their home events. Like that's that was a that was a good call by by Call of Duty League. It was a very good call by them. Because like I've said, Overwatch clearly didn't realize this. Have your rivals play each other in front of a crowd that cares. Like have your rivals play each other. Especially when you're in one of their cities. Like don't be afraid to to have that match happen outside of a outside of a Sunday championship. And good on them for fixing it in Chicago. I I've already talked about that at length too, but still I I want to commend them for that for having the guts to uh, say, "Hey, we made a mistake here and we're going to switch up the schedule a little bit for our Chicago event in April." Like that was a good idea. I'm glad they did that. So god, what a what a stacked esports weekend. Like you've got Call of Duty League from London and then Overwatch League is kicking off a few hours later. Like the the last game on Saturday is is at 2. So that'll that'll overlap with the beginning of Overwatch League, but that first game there's a there's a reason it's Toronto and Paris. They don't want to really be competing with each other. Anyway, that's uh, that's what I've got for today's episode. Hope you all enjoyed. Hope you all enjoy your weekend. Obviously, I uh, want to shout out the Patreon page again. If you want to support the show a little bit more, uh, you can see the benefits on the Patreon page. But that is going to do it. Hope you all enjoy your weekend. Hope you all enjoyed the show. I will talk to you guys on Tuesday. See you then. I'm out.